Amen. We'll go ahead and open up to Acts 19 and uh, continuing our series in Acts. And, uh, and one of the, I have to tell you guys, as we're seeing the series and, and we're watching how God is changing the world, flipping the world upside down uh, through his church, by his spirit. And uh, I'll tell you, we usually schedule these sermon series uh, way out. In fact, if you know, I, I moved here in January and this series was already laid out. Um, and so we, we usually try to schedule and kind of plan ahead on the sermon series way in advance. And so one of the things sometimes when you plan out in advance is you're still kind of looking at when there are these cultural moments like with the election. As they get closer, you go, wait, should we maybe tweak some things with the sermon schedule? Should we maybe put in? And so we, we uh, thought about, I, I, I really wrestled with, should we do like last week and this week kind of a two-part kind of set-aside acts and, 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 and look elsewhere, kind of almost like topical for two weeks. And, uh, and it just felt like while planning that, uh, God was just saying, no, stay in the book of Acts. Stay in the book of Acts. And, and even as I look ahead, I was like, uh, okay. You know? <laughs> and, and so as we got to uh, these passages, I have been blown away last week and this week with actually how fitting these passages are for the time that we're in. And obviously, God's Word always speaks uh, in, in all situations, but there, there is a certain kind of precision that we just could not have planned for, uh, just because we didn't know exactly how things would go with the election. I mean, everyone, I think, had an idea, but you know what I mean. And so when uh, one of the things last week we saw was just how in the midst of all of the chaos of this election, we saw that God saying, my kingdom will, uh, will expand on earth by you investing in individuals. In the midst of all the chaos, make sure to continue to just invest in individuals, and I will take care of changing the world. I'll change hearts. I'll, I'll change the world. I'll flip it upside down. But your part is to invest in individuals. And this week, what we're going to see, because uh, last week we were saying we don't know what the chaos will be. Well, we're in a time of now intense probably political chaos, right, of, of fighting, of, of kind of two sides in our country now starting to war with one another in this kind of intense, uh, 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 I want to say combat, but this division. And, and it's easy in the midst of this, uh, a time like this, to get caught up in what's going on in the country around us and to forget that we don't battle against flesh and blood, and, and, and so this, is, this week, what we're going to see last week was when Paul went to Corinth. This week is when he goes to Ephesus. Now, if you know your New Testament, uh, there's a letter called the book of Ephesians. And that is written to the church at Ephesus. And that's written years later after Paul has planted the church. And so we're going to see today uh, how that came about when Paul planted in Ephesians or Ephesus. Uh, but this is what it says in Ephesians. He says, For we do not, ba- uh, do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, right now, nothing's happening that's any different than the way it's always been, which is that we tend to believe, fall into this belief, that our main battle, our ultimate battle, is against flesh and blood and what's going on. But what Paul says is, if you lift the curtain, if you... Pull back the veil and you look at what's really going on. There is an intense spiritual battle that's going on against the powers of darkness at all times. And so what I want to look at today, because what we're going to see is them going to Ephesus and them see this city completely transformed. And so what we're going to look at today, I want to, we want to see the same thing in our day. And it's so easy, yes, while... The political sphere is important because there are consequences. 
and implications. At the same time, the ultimate place where the battle wages is on a spiritual level. And so what we're going to look at today is how to fight the spiritual battle for our city. How to fight the spiritual battle for our city. And so what we're going to see first is what we need. Second, the real battle. And then third, the secret to winning the battle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, in, in a time like today, it's, uh, I even feel uh, cautious in using words like battle. Uh, but Lord, we, we are in a time where our, we're in a, a place of disposition. Our posturing is this battle posi- posturing. And, but Lord, we know that while there is this stuff that's happening around us and you call us as believers to be faithful and engage in the world around us, Lord, at the same time today, help us to pull back the veil and see where the real battle lies. That the real battle is not just a battle against flesh and blood, but it is a spiritual battle for the souls of men and women. And so, Lord, today we ask that you would give us a bigger picture. Spirit, you would help us to see the life that you give us every moment. The life of Christ. The very life that you've enjoyed for eternity past. Now you're pouring into us. Lord, help us to walk in the power of your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what we need, Paul heads to Ephesus in this passage. He's been in Corinth, or he's actually been traveling around, and Paul gets to Ephesus. And when he gets there, he finds some disciples, starting in verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, if you remember last week, we ended with Apollos. We saw the Corinthian lesson, and Paul had been... Or, or sorry, Apollos, remember, had been in Ephesus. If you remember, right before he went back to Corinth, Apollos had been in Ephesus, and he had been teaching there. Then he goes to Corinth, and when he gets to Corinth, uh, uh, Quill and Priscilla, they take him aside, and they teach him a better way. And so what, what's happening here is the text is cluing us in on, remember, remember Apollos, remember he went to Corinth, well, now we're back in Ephesus where Apollos just left. And remember how Apollos didn't really teach them the fullness of truth? He just taught what he knew? Well, now we're going to meet some disciples who are living out those kind of like that half-baked Christianity that he had given them. So Apollos was at Corinth. Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, do you receive the Holy, or did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. And so again, we knew that this was an issue at the church of Ephesus. We knew in some way that Apollos had left them kind of this half-baked Christianity that needed to be corrected. And what we see here with Paul are the details of what needed to be corrected. And so when Paul gets there, he says specifically, were you baptized with the Holy Spirit? And they say, no, it was with the baptism of John. And what we saw last week, a shorthand way of understanding this, is that Apollos had learned about the life and the teaching of Jesus. He had learned about what it meant to be a, a, a well-put-together human being, how to behave morally, God is holy, and, and largely what John came to do was to say, repent, to repent, 
because you, you have sinned against a holy God. And so John's baptism said, I'm going to die to myself, and I'm just going to die and repent, and I understand that I've, I've disobeyed a holy God. But see, when Jesus came, what Paul's saying when he brings the Holy Spirit is that then out of that, you're to rise out of the water and the, receive the Holy Spirit, who is the very life of God in you, dwelling in you, so that you would walk in newness of life. So in other words, they knew about the teachings of Jesus. They knew about the truth claims of Jesus, but they did not know the life in Jesus. And here, here's the thing. I don't know where everyone is uh, this morning or watching, uh, but every single world religion, every leader claims that they have the corner on the truth. Every single world religion claims that their, their leader claims, I know the truth. I, I know the facts. I, I, I have the sacred scriptures. I have the source. I know the truth. But only Jesus claims to be the truth. Only Jesus claims to be the very truth. See, one of the things with this, just follow me for a moment. So I lay this out because I think often we hear, okay, Holy Spirit, Jesus, truth. Okay, I, these are kind of basic Christian building blocks. Here's why this is so important. So when the world in eternity passed, God dwelled in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God dwelled in perfect love. That's why 1 John says that God is love. Not God, love is God, but God is love. God defines love. And, and, and that love is defined by the Father and the Son delighting in one another, loving one another, the beloved, and then the Spirit enjoying that reality. And, the, and this kind of Trinitarian dance of delight from eternity past. And what happened was eventually God did not create the world because he got bored. God did not create the world just because he was like, well, I need someone to like affirm me. Like I need a, I need a, I need a lover of my soul and I, I need someone to complete me, right? No, the reason why God created the world is he overflowed with delight, like an artist who, who, who when he delights, he, uh, uh, or a poet, when they delight, they write poetry. When an artist delights, they, they paint on a canvas, they paint landscapes, and they, and they just overflow with that delight. And what God did, our cosmos, is a blank canvas that God created, and then he began to paint a picture to create a reality that reflected that delight that he had in himself. This is why John Calvin calls the world a theater of glory. Man, guys, last night... Um, I'm a, if I seem a little off today, it's because I didn't get home last night. Tina, who's on our staff, she got married last night up in Iowa. It's exciting, yeah, so that happened. Uh, and, and so my wife and I were driving back. We didn't get back until about midnight. Um, but if you don't know, we just moved out from LA, the L.A. area last year. My wife grew up in that area. And so we're out kind of about the Missouri-Iowa state line. And, and I all of a sudden just pull over. I look out the window. It's a clear night. I just pull over, and I, and I get out, and, and my wife, she's like, what are we doing? Because, you know, for her, the only thing Iowa cornfields, middle of night, is like serial killer movies, right? So my wife's like, what are we doing? <laughs> and so we pull over, and, and I was just like, get out of the car. It's pitch black, and we get out, and we stand up. And it was one of those nights where it's so clear there's no light pollution, and it's just thousands of stars. You can still kind of see the Milky Way there, right? That big streak. And, you, and I just, and it's almost that like you feel like you're in outer space when you look up. You almost can't get your bearings. It just blows your mind when you look up there. And we just stood there. My wife had tears in her eyes. She was like, I've never seen this. Like I've never, like if you, if you don't know, if you live in LA, it's kind of like you look up in the sky at night and it's just kind of like brown and hazy. And you're like, somebody should clean that, right? Like, is that what this, man, the outer space, man, there's a lot of junk up there. Like you, you don't realize what's up there. And, and you just stand there and look at that and you go, God made this. And why did he make this? He just made it because he said, I'm like that. I'm glorious like that. I'm faithful like that. 
Those stars don't fall out of the sky. They continue for thousands of years to hang there. For millions upon millions of years, they'll hang there. And it all is just to say, look how good and true and beautiful I am. And into creation, God, I'm, I'm coming full circle, into creation, God placed man with the unique capacity made in his image, unlike the beasts of the field, unlike every other part of creation, to, to relate to him with the unique ability to join in that delight. As God is just rejoicing over his creation, delighting in his glory, then we are put there in the garden with the intention that we would in the same way take the raw materials of creation, we would cultivate creation for God's glory, spread that garden, eventually be a city, we would erect structures, uh, build architecture and systems of justice and all these things, and it would just spread and spread and spread. And in the midst of that, of course, what happened was we looked at that, and it reminds me of what I did in seminary, or almost did in seminary. Seminaries were pastors... Uh, Unfortunately, sometimes they grow up and they become arrogant because they think an, a master of divinity means they're a master of all things divine. Uh, and seminary becomes cemetery. Um, well, here's, here's how this happens. Uh, you begin to see you, like the, the stars in the sky. And you see, I remember distinctively God laid this on my heart once. He said, it's like you are really good at looking up the stars in the sky and then connecting all the dots. You're really good at tracing all the patterns. In my word, but Matt, do you see, you need to step back and you need to step back from just trying to make those connections and connecting all the dots and just be in awe of the one who hung them there. So often what happens is we make Christianity just about the truth and the facts and just the little tidbits and we fail to find the life and the joy and the worship of God's heart and to know that life in him. And what man did was he looked up at the sky and at the creation and God's glory and he said, this is, actually I should be in charge. And I can make this just about facts and, and, and actually this is the whole sum of what creation is. It exists for my glory. And so what God does then is God doesn't give up on man, but what God will do eventually, even though they, re they rejected his holy standards, they rejected his presence, what God does eventually is he sends his very son, his, the very truth upon which all of reality is created in the image of. He sends him into the world and he says, you want to see really the heart of my truth? It is the grace of a holy God saving sinful man so that they can be in my presence again and their hearts will be made new, and they will be restored to that original joy that they were created for. And when we come to be new creations in Christ, this is what Christianity says. When you become a new creation in Christ, what happens is you die to yourself in baptism, and you go under the waters. We're going to see this actually at the 9, 30, and 11. We have a couple baptisms today. You're going to go under the water, the judgment waters, but then the judgment waters and death can't hold you, and you come up out of the water, and then the Holy Spirit descends on you, fills you, and you become a new creation in Christ. And now you have that same life from eternity past that's now coursing through you, and and rejoicing in you, saying, do you see there's a glorious God? Do you see that there's life in him? It's not just keeping rules. It's not just tidbits and facts and figures and, 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 and schematics of theology. The Christian life is meant to be in life with God. John 17, 3, Jesus says, this is life that they might know you, the true God, and have life in you. 
So when here Paul says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, I do not want us to think just trite thoughts, just think just kind of like some Harry Potter scene where it's like, well, maybe things got crazy back in the first century, right? No, what happens here is they're filled with life. And many of us, what happens is we make Christianity just about the facts and figures and some kind of behavioralism, some kind of just it puts our life together and it makes us have nice children and good comfy homes and and put together careers. No, Christianity is about those things might happen. Oftentimes they do flow out of of, of a life of integrity. But Christianity at its core is finding and experiencing that life in God and being filled with his love and delight in his glory. And see, the reason why I say this is what we need if we're going to fight the spiritual battle for a city is that our city needs the life of God. And we need the life of God. We need the Spirit of God to be alive in us and then flowing through us to give that same life to the city around us. They don't need better cars. We don't need better homes. We don't need uh, more controlled temperatures in, indoors. We don't, whatever it is, the comforts, the securities, the approval of this world, none of those things are ultimately what we need. We need life in God's Spirit and to be restored to that that glory, and that's why we get all of these beautiful and comfy and nice things, and yet at the same time still that sense of just rejoicing, we can never find it because there's not that life. And so this morning, at the end of, of today, I'm just going to, at the end after the service, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to drop off point right here. If, if you're going, man, right now, I, I've, I've come to Christ, I call myself a Christian, but I'm just not experiencing that life with God. Here's what Paul does. They lay hands on him and they pray for him. I, I just want to invite you after the service. I'll be up here and we'll, we'll trust God, COVID, safe distancing. We'll lay hands and we'll pray that you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So if we need the Holy Spirit, though, to know the life of God, if we want to see our city changed. Next, the real battle. We need the life of God and the Spirit of God leading us, filling us, because if uh, we don't, then we're not going to be able to fight the real battle. So here's the real battle. One thing is that as this uh, continues on, Paul's going to eventually, it's going to say in verse 11 and 12, that he's going to encounter evil spirits. Now, I know as I start talking about the Spirit of God, some of us, I don't don't know where everyone is again, I know that some of us might think like, okay, this is the Spirit stuff, first century, we're modern people, we've kind of graduated from this pastor, right? Like, do we really believe there's spirits and whatnot? And and, and one of the most convicting things I've ever read was by C.S. Lewis, he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, where it's kind of like a master demon, like apprenticing a younger demon, and he says, here's what happens in modernity. When we think, oh, there's just no spirit around us, what he says is this is why we don't encounter. We think that there's really no such thing as a spirit. And what Paul's going to say is the reality is not if there's a spirit. The reality is are we going to be walking in the Holy Spirit of God or the evil spirit of this age? Because something is going to be running your life. And C.S. Lewis has a lot of wisdom here. He says here's why we don't think the spiritual is real. My dear Wormwood, this is the apprentice, I wonder you should ask me whether it is essential to keep the patient in ignorance, the patient being like us, the person, in ignorance about your own existence. The demons would be paired with a person. He said that question, at least for the, ev- the present 
phase of the struggle has been answered for us by the high command, like Satan himself, of our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. Of course, this has not always been so. We are really faced with a cruel dilemma. When human beings disbelieve in our existence, we lose all the pleasing results of direct terrorism, and we make no magicians. In other words, back in the day when the spirits go, when everyone said there's spirits in the world, they could run rampant and they could just torture everyone. But now in a day when we don't believe in them, he says, on the other hand, when you believe in us, when they believe in us, we cannot make them materialists and skeptics like today. At least not yet. I do not think you will have much difficulty in keeping your patient in the dark. The fact that devils are predominantly cosmic figures in the modern imagination will help you, or comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in it, it is an old textbook method of confusing them, he therefore cannot believe in you. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying our modern social imagination just doesn't even allow for there to be, an evil, there to be evil spirits. Now, I, I find that really funny because if you go to Netflix or Redbox and you're looking at it and you're like going through and you're like, is there anything in here but like poltergeist type, like, like demonic films, right? Do you ever go and you're like all the new films, you're like, what if I'm not in the mood for, I don't know, like, like you know, like possession movies or some like person with hair, like crawling on the ground with claws on her hand. And you're like, are there any movies they make other than this? Like we say we don't believe in these things, yet at the same time, we run to them for a sense of escape and a sense of actually being alive because maybe they actually resonate with something we know is deeply true. If we're going to reach our city, we must awaken to the spiritual battle, the real battle, not, not the Harry Potter magicians and, you know, like warlocks and possession, but the real battle, a spiritual battle. Verse 11 and 12, it says that, and he was going, Paul was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that he touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, I don't, as we're going to see in a second, I don't think just the point here is that for all time, we're going to be able to pick up handkerchiefs and just touch people with them or leave them somewhere, and somebody comes along, and they're just like, oh, it's like the reverse of COVID, right? Like somebody comes along, and they're like, oh, they touched this area. I'm cured, right? Like that was happening with Paul. I don't think right now it's saying this is prescriptive for all time. It's describing something. However, what's going to happen is I think that there's a contrast that's being made here with the spirit of this age. Because look at in verses 13 through 17. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Right? So they're like, they see Paul casting out demons. They're like, oh. I'm going to try that. Like, okay, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can do this as well. And this is great. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Right? So I love this. Like the evil spirit are like, come on out. And the evil spirit's like, wait, excuse me, excuse me. Right? And he's like, who the heck are you guys? Who are you to tell me to leave? Right? And so you can imagine, like, he comes out, and he's like, who are you guys? And they're like, uh, oh, shoot, we did. And so 16, and the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastering all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. All right? So it's not enough just to beat them up, but he takes all their clothes. All right? And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus. Of course it became known to all the residents of Ephesus. Imagine if this happened downtown at, like, the library. Like, we'd all know about it pretty quickly. Right? And so word spreads about what happened. Now, what's going on here? 
Here's one thing that is for sure. There's a contrast here. Where the Spirit of God brings life and healing, the Spirit of this age brings shame and pain. Where the Spirit of God brings life and healing. Where the Spirit of God comes saying, I'm bringing love. I go, the Spirit of God comes, Jesus says, he comes, he's the Spirit of Christ, he's the Spirit of truth, he's the Spirit of comfort. He comes and he comforts you and he brings life, the life that's been lost in spite of the fact that you're a sinner and you rejected me. He's called the Holy Spirit because he's going to come into you and make you new. Where you're not holy. An evil spirit comes and he jumps on you and he says, look at you. See, we live in an age where we're, we're so blind to the spiritual realities, yet we say that everyone's just, we're trying to therapeutically solve this, where everyone's walking around with these consciences, where they're being just driven by this evil spirit of this age that says, look at your past. What you have always been, you will always be. How dare you try to change? How dare you try to make a difference? You hypocrite. He takes hold of what we know is true. And he uses it to kill and destroy and enslave. And just a second to back up here. This dynamic, I don't know a better way to describe what we are seeing on things like social media and in our culture. If we will step back, pull back the curtain, and look at what is going on, if we would just look at the culture around us and say, what if what's happening here is really a spiritual battle, and what's going on in the souls of men is everyone is just trying to figure out how to get along. How just for a moment to feel like maybe I shouldn't feel just naked and ashamed. Like, I know we're not all literally walking around naked, although, you know, culturally, we're maybe kind of getting there, but we're, we're but on a deep existential level, we're all walking around just full of shame and feeling naked. And as soon as you go out there, everything is making the most it can of all of your weaknesses and all of your sins. Sin? <laughs> and so often what we do is we join in in this echo chamber of shame. This, just seeing the flesh and battling against the flesh, warring against the flesh. And Paul here is saying, do not just see flesh. See the real battle that is going on underneath the surface, all around you. Yes, what's happening on the surface is happening but see the individual and see what's really going on. The evil one has a hold of them and he is just torturing them. So much of social media, that's the reason why when you see these firestorms and things spread, ask yourself this, how are people trying to regain their moral authority? I guarantee it will help you really navigate reading things on social media if you just ask yourself that question. That's what I do. How is this person trying to regain their moral authority? Because everything, everyone is so heaped under guilt and shame and beat up, and they're just trying desperately to regain their moral authority. And when you do that, you shame people, and they shame people, and they shame people. Because the spirit of this age will drive you into the grave. But the spirit of God 
will bring life. And what happens is they bring, they preach the gospel. They don't, they don't just shame the people. They don't just say, Paul's not dancing around and going like, hey, hey, look at these guys. Like they tried to take the demon and the deacon, like demon literally made him naked, right? They're not like shaming him, walking around. They just keep preaching Jesus. And it says then that Jesus is extolled in verse 17. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. What happens is they, they divulge, they, com- they confess their sin, but they don't just divulge and confess their sin, but they also just, they just, uh, they divest, not just divulge their sin, they divest themselves of their practices. And what's happening here? They weren't shamed into this. They weren't beaten and wounded into this. What happens is the spirit of God falls on them and they're given that new life and they just go, man, I'm all in. What is all this stuff? Who cares about all this stuff? I want, I want him. The thing that will set you free is the power of an expulsive power of a new affection, as the old Puritan said. You need something more beautiful, a bigger yes, a bigger truth. And then they come and it says they divulge all their practices and a number of those who have practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of them all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver, a massive sum. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. When revival comes... It's often not what we think it is. It often actually comes with, if you read historical revivals, it comes with silence and confession and just the sense of God is true and just I'm all in. And here's the thing, guys. I would, let's just imagine, allow God to recapture our imagination and say, what if God did this in our city? What if God did this in your workplace and on the campus? What if God did this in our neighborhoods? What if God did this in our homes? He's done it before, he will do it again. If we will see that the battle is truly a spiritual battle and not wage war at a fleshly level, but say, God, would you move? It's not just a spiritual battle, though. It's also a battle for freedom. Uh, Verse 21 says, Now after all these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and uh, Achaia and go to Jerusalem. He's going back to kind of Corinth area and discipling them and saying, After I've been there, I must go see Rome. Now, what's Paul doing here? Paul's not just kind of like, he's not like evangelism kind of guy. Like, he's like, oh man, I just want to go see Rome, right? Like, what's happening here is Paul's saying, I want to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. In fact, actually, the reason why probably they're focusing on 12, one, I don't have time to obviously exhaustively teach all this, but in uh, verse, back in verses 8 through 10, they take 12 disciples, tongues fall on them. That's actually probably because tongues fall in Acts back in Jerusalem in Acts 2. In chapter 10, when the gospel goes to Gentiles and Samaritans, and then here in 19, when the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. And then there are 12 disciples, and it's almost parallel to Acts 2 when the, when the Pentecost comes and the Spirit falls on the church, on the 12 disciples, and then the church is established to go. In other words, the church is being established for the Gentile world and going out to the ends of the earth with the life of God in them. Okay? And what's happening here is Paul saying, I want to take it to the ends of the earth. In other words, here's the thing. Paul is a slave, a servant of Christ. He's not just saying here, I just want to serve my own desires and go see the world. He's saying, I'm a servant of Christ and I'm compelled right now by God's spirit to just not only be filled with the life of God, but take that life elsewhere. And here's why that matters. Because you will, because again, it's not a question of if you will be filled with a, a spirit. The question is, what spirit will you follow? What spirit will you be filled with? And then following that, it's not a question of if you will be a servant of someone, if you will be a slave, it's a question of what you will be a slave to. Uh, As Bob Dylan said, everybody's got to serve somebody, right? Uh, He he was a prophet when he said that. The reality is everyone serves somebody. 
your life will serve something, some ambition, some truth. But here's the thing. Here we're going to see Paul is a servant of Christ, as we've seen throughout Acts. But right next to it, then we see another juxtaposition, that the spirit of this age makes us a slave, and there's no freedom. We are battling a spiritual battle for the freedom of men, of men and women, of the souls of men and women. We're not just battling for, for turf wars. We're not just battling to get policies. We're not battling. We are not just battling for behavior. We're battling for the souls, the freedom of men and women all around us. And it surfaces with the, uh, these men who are building idols. Verse 23, about this time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. That's, that's uh, describing the Christians. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis. She's kind of this ancient goddess, one of the main ancient goddesses. They had a massive temple in Ephesus. Um, she usually, in the statues, she would usually have um, uh, essentially, uh, how do I want to say this? Um, she was the, the goddess of fertility, and so she could uh, uh, nurse many babies at once. Now you get the picture, right? Okay. So, and so she was known as the goddess of fertility, and um, there was a lot of worship that went along with that. If you wanted to get uh, fertility with your wife, you had to serve Artemis in a certain way. There are all kinds of... Um, uh, highly sexualized practices that came with that. Brought, she brought no little business to the craftsmen, main economic center of this city at this point. Uh, and the problem is now people are starting to believe in Jesus. And Jesus, again, doesn't just train, claim to have a truth. So we have Jesus' truth and we have Artemis. Artemis is still actually practiced or worshiped nowadays amongst like Wiccans and stuff like that and a lot of New Age. Uh, and, and they'll say, you can, uh, Artemis and other gods, but Jesus said, I am the truth. And if I am the truth, there's no other truth. And so she's false. This is threatening their business. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see that here, see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but that the, the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. So what happens here is they say there's, we've made gods from our hands and, uh, and now this whole temple worship is going to be overthrown. Now what's going on here? Uh, Psalm 115 says, because you go, what's the big deal? You just make these little statues and you serve them. Uh, the idolatry in the Bible goes much deeper than this. It's a heart issue. And, and, and this is what happened. When, when you follow the principalities of darkness, when you follow the way not, not of the Lord, what happens is you, you then begin to find something that you latch your life onto and you, and you find your meaning and your significance in it. And what happens when you do that is you begin to become like it. Remember when we become like Jesus, we become transformed from one degree of glory to another into the image of Christ? When we attach ourselves to something else, we become like it. This is what Psalm 115 says. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but they do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. If you worship movie stars, you'll begin to dress and act like movies, a movie star. Or, or lifestyle coaches. Or if you worship athletes, you'll probably live like athletes. If you worship uh, an individual who's all about their cars and their wealth and, and whatnot, you'll begin to worship them. And you'll become like them. Whatever we worship, we will become. We already know this intuitively. 
But see, what happened, the reason why this is happening is because when we latch onto these things for that sense of significance, for that sense of my, the spirit in me finds life in this and I delight in this, what happens is we slowly become like it because we say, if that's life, then that's what I'm going to imitate. But the problem is that then that thing begins to enslave you. And what's going to go on with these men is this entire city is enslaved to Artemis. They're enslaved to the creation. And so what's, again, wish I had time to really unpack it here, but what happens is they begin to act like a mob, and they just again and again become more and more irrational, just uh, great as Artemis, great as Artemis, great as, and it's this mob comes, and what do they become? Like creation, just like beasts of the field. That original capacity to worship God and know life in him, now they're finding in the creation, and so now they're just instinctually living their lives, driven by their desires. And I know that for us, we can think, well, I don't make little statues, so I'm not an idolater. But we have modern idols. I put together a list. Um, this com- I can't remember where this came from. Probably some uh, Tim Keller resource would be my best guess. Um, but here's the thing. Our idols, he's a pastor in New York City, really good at this stuff. Um, the way you can identify if you have an idol is if, if there's something that if you lose it, you will immediately think, my life is no longer worth continuing. Ever had that moment? I remember in high school, a girlfriend breaks up with you. You lose a job. And see, good, there are many good things in life, but when a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes an idol and it ceases to be a good thing for you. And, and so all these things can be good. There can be good things. My, my wife, is, that's a good thing. My marriage is a good thing. My kids are a good thing, but I can still find my significance and my identity in them. My, my, I love being a pastor. I love doing this. Some of you might not like that I love doing this, but here I am. And so I love doing this, but I can also, I, I can make an idol out of this and find my entire sense of, of meaning and significance and that sense of delight and love and affirmation. It would come just from this role. And God says that's idolatry. Now I'll actually kill you. And that's how good things become bad things. And so here are some idols, modern idols. I only have meaning or worth. I'm just going to hit a few of these. I have power and influence over others. I only have meaning and worth if I am loved and respected by blank. I have this kind of experience, a particular quality of life. Hey, millennials, I, like, let me just share with you the kind of nomadic, just moving around every two years, that's new to human experience, right? And so right now, sometimes it's that pleasure of just being somewhere else, Finding new experiences, that that actually can be an idol. Not being rooted where God has us and finding contentment. I am able to get mastery over my life in the area of blank, control idol. People are dependent on me and need me. Ooh, a helping idol. We call this a savior complex. You can go to the next page. I am highly productive and getting a lot done. That one hits me. By the way, there's something here for everyone. Everyone will be equally uh, offended. Uh, I am being, everyone will, will experience uh, conviction equally, I should say. I am being recognized for my accomplishments, and I am excelling in my work, achievement. Do you see how all these things are? There's, there's good things here, good things. Things are just a part of life, and, and some of these things are just, they're good things to have a noble ambition for some of these things. But when they become the ultimate thing, they become idols. And then you can also see how all these have shadow sides that drive us to death if they become idols and they aren't used as means to worship God. And so what's happening here in this scene is that these people, 
are being driven by idols. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to send this out to our our connection groups. And, and by the way, this is how the world, if you don't want to be, like right now, advertising, if you watch, uh, I can't remember the name of it, there's a thing on Edward Bernays and a, a short little on YouTube. Uh, it just breaks down the 20th century in advertising. It plays to this. We, we, every moment of our life, we go, I'm free and I'm making all these decisions and look at me. And it's like, well, that's why when I was in high school, I'm like, I am autonomous me and I'm expressing myself, expressive individualism. Look, I'm so unique. And you're like, why do you dress like everyone else in your class, right? Like, we, we are driven by the social imagination around us, and that actually is what dictates our life, and we don't realize we're being manipulated and driven by the idols and not wanting to be rejected because I have an approval idol, for instance. And then we go, I'm free, I'm me, and no one else, and here's the thing, we are all, apart from God's Spirit setting us free, enslaved. You will either be a slave to Christ by His Spirit, or you will be a slave to the things of this world. In our world around us, we need to search ourselves and look in the mirror before we can go to the world around us and say, let go of the idols. Because if we don't have something worth letting go of when we see, we'll never let go. And, we, and if we don't have it, then we can't give them that thing that will help them to just go, I want him. I want that life. So this week, I'm going to send these out to the connection groups. If you're in a connection group, you can talk about these, go more in depth. But the real battle is a spiritual battle, and it's a spiritual battle for the freedom of the souls of men and women. That is the real battle. Lastly, the secret to winning the battle. It's easy to get overwhelmed by the spiritual battle. If we're honest, when we start to think about that, okay, so this is a spiritual battle. Let me put my mind around that, my camp, uh, you know, the campus I'm on, the city, my neighborhood, the workplace, my home, and it's overwhelming. Like we, we talk about only 12%, I don't know if you know this, only 12%, 12, let's go high, 15% of Columbia attends church on a Sunday. I don't know if you realize how low that is. And that's not just like, that's pre-COVID. The normally, the national average low is 28%, and that's Kansas City. We're at 15 on a high Sunday. That means about 100,000 enslaved souls. Every day, shaming them, driving them. And again, that's what we should see in our city right now when we see what's going on around us. We should, we should have hearts that break for where we see it in ourselves and then hearts that break for where we see it all around us. And I'll admit, when, when we become aware of this, I, I get it, guys. It's easy to just kind of go into retreat. It, it's easy to kind of, when we see that, just go, man, I, this is too big. This is too much. I can't, like, even begin to think about what I'm going to do in this. And, and oftentimes what happens is we retreat into our homes, and, and then we retreat into our homes. And here's what's crazy about this. We retreat into our home. Just follow me on this because I bet it's true for almost all of us. I know it is for me. I retreat, and then at some point, it's like I'm going to read a book or I'm going to watch a movie, and I'm just going to escape. And what do I do? I turn on some movie kind of, it goes something like Lord of the Rings, where it's like I'm going to follow a hero, and he's going to like fight these, these bad, you know, the bad guys or these dark forces, and then, or you're watching Star Wars marathons or whatnot, and you're watching it, and you're just sitting there the whole time, and you're going, man, I want to be right there with him. Right, like everything we entertain and escape with is something, a, a thing that tells us, like, here's a hero who's up against the odds and there's dark forces and he's actually trusting some greater force, some greater wisdom, some greater guide, and he's able to overcome these dark forces against all odds. 
And in the midst of it, our, the whole time, the reason why we're sitting there going like, just like our chest is, it's almost like, uh, 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 go, 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 go. And you're like, the reason is because as the spirit of God in you telling you, you are made for this. Only it's not a movie. It's not just lightsabers and dwarfs and elves and magic potions. The reason why we have once upon a time fairy tales is because they point to something that is ultimately true. That's why they resonate with us. And so many of us are trying to just set, like shut ourselves down and I'm telling you the spirit of God is in you because he's saying, listen, I, you think that is amazing? Wait and see what I can do through you. I don't know if you guys realize this, but the whole armor of God, so Ephesians, when he told them later on, you know, your wars against them, he says, put on the armor of God to fight this spiritual battle. The armor of God does not have anything for the backside because there's no retreat. You were put here for such a time as this. Listen to me. This, everything that's going on now, this, this is a time, I, I, I get where it's overwhelming, but listen, like, you are put here in this city, in this place, in your relationships for this time. Not, I'm not saying that because I'm like some like self-help guru. I'm saying that as a messenger from the sovereign God of the universe. There's not one hair on your head that is out of place. I trust God for that every day as it falls away. <laughs> and where you are in your life, is not by accident. God has you here for this reason, to be in the midst of this spiritual battle. In closing, in verse 37, we get a, key, a clue then, so what do we do? They come out and they tell them, essentially, they're like, hey, let's, let's, let's settle this whole thing down. There's this whole conflict and all these riots. And they say, for you, this is the clerk of the town, he says, for you have brought these men here, talking about Paul and them, who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. It's very interesting there because what happens is sacrilegious in the Greek is essentially, literally it's saying people who destroy temples. See, they didn't actually even destroy the temple of Artemis. What are you guys arguing about? They, and then it says, and blasphemers, they didn't even like tell lies. Blasphemy just tells, tell lies about the truth. They didn't even tell lies about Artemis. In fact, actually, guys, they haven't even been talking about Artemis this whole time. And, and why is that significant? Because the thing is that the whole point is not, hey, guys, just shaming them. Just say, get, get, put down Artemis. Can you believe that? Look at how ridiculous that statue of Artemis looks. It does look pretty ridiculous. But you're like, isn't it, just look at how ridiculous this is. You're an idiot. You're a moron. How could you buy into this? Instead, what they come in and they just preach the gospel and the life of God flows out of them. And they're just like, hey, 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 look over here. I want to give you what is worth dropping that thing. I don't even know what that thing is, but I'm telling you, this is so much better. And so what they do is they are now temples of the living God, confronting temples of Artemis. And they're coming in and they're saying, look at the life and the joy and the delight that we have. And they're just proclaiming Jesus and worshiping him, extolling him. And what's happening is the whole town is just going like, why are we playing with, with just trinkets when we could have this? And here's why I say this, this is the secret. And I'm not saying that it means that the outcome, listen, that first half, Maybe your entire home, your neighborhood, whatnot, they all bring all their magic arts books and they burn them and you see a massive revival. Or on the other hand, it could end where the whole city or your whole workplace turns against you. This is not triumphalism. This is real. 
But what I do know is that the Spirit of God is going to course through you, and he's going to call you to join the battle. And when you do, the one way that you can join the battle is to, as Charles Spurgeon, the great Victorian preacher, he said this, he said, the one thing, the secret, is to let the lion out. And here's what he means. This is in closing. There seemed to me to have been twice as much done in some ages in defending the Bible as in expounding it. But if the whole of our strength shall henceforth go to the spreading of it, we may leave it pretty much to defend itself. Open the door and let the lion out. He will take care of himself. Why they are gone. He no sooner goes forth in his strength than his assailants flee. The way to meet infidelity is to spread the Bible. The answer to every objection against the Bible is the Bible. What Spurgeon is saying here is he's saying, do you realize that the word of God that you have, the very word that expounds the God of the universe, the glorious God of the universe, that all of creation is pointing and saying, do you see he is glorious and he is true, he is good, he is beautiful. Everything around the people around you, if you will just say, he is Jesus, here is the word of God, this is who he is. His spirit will not only work through you, his spirit will go before you through his word and he will do the work he will do see the secret is merely to take that step of faith and speak the word of god let the lion out let the lion do his work step on to the battlefield Dress for battle, lay hands on one another and ask for the spirit to move. Sometimes say, guys, with your kids, with your spouses when they leave, maybe when they're leaving for the morning, can I just pray that God would, his spirit would work in you today? Maybe just start there. Clean out the temple, yourself, the temple of the living God of idols. Go over that list with friends and say, wait, where is this really like kind of convicting me? What response should I have? But let the lion out. Because if we do, we will see God do much more in our city than we could ever imagine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this reminder that, Lord, you go powerfully before us. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room right now who's saying, man, I'm a Christian, but I'm identified as a Christian, but this reality is so far removed from anything I've experienced, Lord, I pray that right now by your spirit you would draw them to the that, Lord, you would help them to see where they make less of Christ and Christ would become bigger in their minds and in their hearts. And, Lord, also that you would just fill them with your spirit in a, in a sense of your presence. And that you would do that by making Christ bigger. Lord, I pray for anyone here who's just overwhelmed by the attacks of the enemy. Anyone here who doesn't, who even all these truths are so foreign to you, but when they hear of the spirit of this age and they say, that's my reality. Lord, I ask that by your spirit you would call them by name out of the grave. And Lord, I pray that for all of us here, we would not see that we've just merely gathered in this place in order to be uh, to hear some facts and figures or, or truths or tidbits or strategies or techniques. But Lord, we remember that we've gathered here as the church of the living God to be reminded of the life that we have and the mission that we have in the world. And Lord, we would not just merely leave this place, but be sent, commissioned for the purposes you have for us. Lord, guide each one of these individuals in this room this week. Lord, we ask that you would go before us and fight the spiritual battle in our city. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.